Hello, Pod Fam. It's Laura. And it's Rachel. And welcome to the Tea with Laura and Rachel. What are we talking about today, Rachel? We are going to be talking about imposter syndrome for our third episode. So make sure you got your tea ready. What kind of tea do you have today, Laura? I am drinking Quest to Digest. And it's it's a great tea. Uh, we made some burrito bowls for dinner. And so it's got cinnamon and ginger, licorice, lots of good stuff just to kind of keep your stomach settled after a big meal. That will probably help with the digestion. Absolutely. What are you drinking today? I have my lemon balm tea again. Always a classic. Always a classic. It really puts me right to sleep after we record. So it's becoming a staple. It's becoming a habit, I think, at this point. Oh, perfect. So how's your week been, Laura? Uh, it's been all right. You know, I'm, I'm a little not myself this week, but I'm, I'm starting to get over it. Um, how's your week going? Mine's been pretty much the same. Life went from zero to 100 really quick yeah. yesterday, and I was definitely feeling a bit overwhelmed, but today was a bit better. I'm just basically watching my energy, and it went from super high, nice baseline, all up and down yesterday, and today I, I just think I'm a little bit tired from yeah, all it, the emotions. Yeah, it's hard. Like, you know, when you go from – not doing a whole lot in terms of work for you and then mm-hmm. immediately hitting the gas pedal and getting right back into it. It's tough. It takes a little bit to kind of rev yourself up and get back into that mindset. Yes. I went from working basically four hours a day max to now working probably seven days a week for the next two months. So that's just great. Just think of the money. That's really all I'm thinking about. I'm just planning to make a good, good amount of money there and do some investing, which will make you proud. So, so proud. If you guys didn't know, I am really into investing. Um, I work in the finance industry, but on my own, I am super nerdy for investing. (laughs) She really is. Can confirm. (laughs) All right. So let's get into our episode. Uh, So like you said before, we are going to be talking about imposter syndrome. And this is something I've definitely um, had in the past when I've been making kind of new decisions. So today we're going to do kind of a breakdown of, um, you know, what is imposter syndrome? What triggers it? um, How to know if you have imposter syndrome. And then also there are some personality uh, characteristics that are prone to it. So we're going to identify those and just see if um, if anything matches with you. And then of course, you know, we're going to try and talk about how to overcome it um, and share a bit of our own experience with imposter syndrome. So Rachel, why don't you take it away with our definition of imposter syndrome? All right. And Just a little disclaimer again before we get started, we are not experts. This is all based off of our own research, but we hope that it helps you as well. So imposter syndrome is defined as a phenomenon of an inner feeling that you aren't as competent or qualified to be in your station of life as other people perceive you to be. So basically you feel like a fraud who is constantly on the verge of being found out and you also it's also characterized by a belief that you got to where you are out of solely just luck. 
and it's widely experienced no matter what background you come from. The term was first coined by Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, but when they originally studied it, they theorized that it was more prevalent in women, but the later research has shown that it really affects men and women regardless. And the characteristics of imposter syndrome are self-doubt, an inability to realistically assess your own competency and skills. You have difficulty uh, attributing your success to your own inner self. You really only attribute it to external factors. You'll often berate your performance. You're prone to overachieving and you fear that you won't live up to expectations. And there's also a bit of a trend for self-sabotage as well. I just want to say that was a fantastic disclaimer. This is why Rachel is going to make a great lawyer one day because she's the one who always remembers to do the disclaimer. I never do. Thank so, you. No problem. Thank you. I'm excited uh, for the day when I can announce where we're going to school. That will be a big day and we're going to celebrate. Yes, we will. On the pod. On the pod. <laughs> on the pod. Yes. Okay, so moving on. Um, there's a lot of things that trigger imposter syndrome. A lot of the time it comes from having to take on a new challenge. And this can be something really with anything in your life. The main thing people experience is with jobs, any promotions. Uh, perhaps you are uh, going off to school and just got into this fantastic university. And it can also be with uh, relationships. Uh, a lot of the time, if you feel like you are with someone who you don't think you deserve, this is where uh, imposter and feeling like a fraud comes out. Now, the basis of it, the science really isn't sure where it comes from, but they've kind of narrowed it down to a lot of it stems from people with anxiety. But it can also be a bit of a learned behavior, uh, possibly from your childhood or uh, from your peers, especially later in life in workplaces. But the baseline is that people have that feeling of they need to achieve in order to be loved or be lovable. Yeah, that's so, relatable. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so. If some of this is starting to resonate with you, there are some common feelings and questions that people with imposter syndrome will be uh, constantly asking themselves. So a few of the common ones are, what gives me the right? So that is, you know, what gives me the right to have this relationship? Uh, something else is, what makes me so special? Another, what do I know? And this is sometimes with uh, education and jobs. Um, you're not really sure, even if you have the qualifications, that if you are really qualified for that role. Another big one is I don't belong here. And then for people who, you know, somehow think that they stumble into a position that they're in, they tell themselves that they got lucky. And then to wrap that up, uh, another one is constantly telling yourself that you are a fraud. And it's just a matter of time before everyone finds out. And I feel like that is a really prevalent one. Um, you you kind of hold yourself to impossibly high standards and you have a fear of failure. So you are constantly feeling like someone is going to find out and your whole world is going to collapse. Yeah, that was a great summary. Thank you. Yes, that was great. And wasn't there a specific number that it was how prevalent it is? 
in the lives oh. of people? Yeah. So actually, um, people always think that they are the only one who suffer from imposter syndrome, but actually up to 70% of people in our society suffer from it. Yeah. And I think when I was doing some reading on it as well, it was it's not something that if you have it at some stage in your life, you're going to have it forever. It really can kind of weave in and out is my understanding, is some people could get it at just one specific period or they could get it at multiple periods of their life. But it's really, it's really kind of fluid, I think. Yeah. And would you agree that there are certain aspects of um, people's lives that they might experience it in? Like maybe you only experience it when it comes to your work, but in your relationships, you uh, always feel confident? Yeah, I think so. Because I think that People definitely, depending on who you are, your confidence levels vary depending on the arena that you're playing in. Right. So jumping in to just a bit more of a deep dive on imposter syndrome, Valerie Young is, she's an expert on studying imposter syndrome and she's identified five different competency types. And I'm putting that in air quotes because they are the subgroups of imposter syndrome. So we're just going to go back and forth, but the first one is the perfectionist. So perfectionism and imposter syndrome really go great together. And these people have a tendency to set incredibly high standards for themselves. And success is never satisfying because they always feel like they could have done better. So pretty much even if you accomplish 99% of your goals, you'll feel like a failure even if you reach majority of them. Right. It's kind of like that small mistake is what makes them question everything. Yes. So, I mean, we'll get into it later, but I relate to that one pretty hard. <laughs> so next one is experts. And experts are the one that feel like they need to have all of the qualifications and all of the education before they are able to take on a challenge. Um, and the reason behind this is they're afraid of looking stupid or just feeling like, uh, people think that they don't know anything. So in a work or school environment, this is possibly the person that is, um, you know, sitting in a lecture, the professor is asking a question or a boss is asking a question. And even though you know the answer, you don't answer it because you're worried that it could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And another one that I read about it is that these people will often shy away from career opportunities if they don't meet every requirement of the job description. Yes, that's definitely a big one. Um, so. In fact, I find that uh, this is this is just something that uh, men and w- women will differ from, is that uh, a man will see a job description and they might qualify for one of those requirements and they'll mm-hmm. apply to the job. Where a woman, she might apply for all of the requirements except for one, and she won't apply for that job. Yeah. So even though imposter syndrome kind of affects like men and women, I I think it just affects women a little bit more. I think so too. And I think hopefully with time, the gap will start to lessen even more. But I think that's definitely the case for now. But going into number three, it's the natural genius. So these people feel like they need to be naturally good at something. 
in order like right when they first try it out so if they aren't good at it then they will constantly judge themselves and they'll feel a lot of shame so they will actually not continue with that project so how to know if you might fall into this subgroup is that you might have a history of high achievement in school so you might have been that kid with all of the gold gold stars You might have uh, frequently been made out to be gifted as a child, and your confidence will pretty much always take a tumble when you aren't instantly good at something, which causes you to avoid trying new things. So number four is closely related to the natural genius, I find, but it's the soloist. So this is the person who always wanted to do things by themselves and never asked for help. And Mm -hmm. as they are taking on uh, new challenges and opportunities, if they come across a moment where they think they actually need to ask for help, they feel like they're a failure. Yes. I feel like that one's categorized by a pretty strong belief that for you to uh, be not a fraud, you need to accomplish everything on your own. Yeah. Like success only comes from you, not from a team effort. Yes. And then that creates a symptom of not really ever having your needs met, which is not not very fun. No. But rolling into number five is the superwoman. So, or superman, whichever one. And these people tend to push themselves incredibly hard so that they can measure up in response to their feelings of phoniness. So basically, they feel like they're a fraud, so they are going to push themselves that much harder to feel worthy. So if you were falling into this subgroup, you might stay at the office way longer than you need to, even beyond a point where the work for the day is done. You will tend to get stressed when you aren't working. You don't make time for activities outside of work, and you feel like you haven't truly earned your title in that you need to constantly go above and beyond what the call of duty is in order to feel like you've earned your spot. I feel like I relate super hard to this one. I, I think so too, but we'll get <laughs> into that right. later. Huh? Just a little. Just a little bit. Like th- those days at the at the horse shows, you, you did fall into that a little bit. Well, and I feel like a lot of different places where I've worked too. But yeah. anyway, anyway, we will, we will save that one. Um, yes. So that rounds out the five different subgroups that you might fall into when it comes to imposter syndrome. Now, sort of like the explanations for where it comes from, the recommendations for overcoming imposter syndrome are also a bit vague. And I think, would you, do you agree that it's based a lot around reframing the way that you think about yourself. Absolutely. I think that's definitely the basis of um, imposter syndrome and overcoming it because it really is an individual journey. Um, it's not something that you can lay a template down, I would, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, every article that I read was talking about the value of positive self-talk and being mindful of the narrative that you create about yourself. Yes. And then going back to our earlier point of, um, you know, up to 70% of our population suffering from it, I think that's where you have to remember that you aren't alone. And if you have a trusted group of friends or peers, uh, share your feelings 
with them because more than likely they're going to have their own story of how they can relate to imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. together, I think you can uh, learn and just confide in each other to find a way through it. Yeah, I I agree with that one too. And I think it's also also important that you call it what it is and to separate yourself from the thought because I think what might help is that when you have those feelings come up, you can label it like, okay, I'm just feeling the feelings of imposter syndrome at the moment, but that's not me and that's not reflective of my success or the work that I've done to get here. Yes. And uh, something that I read that was uh, really relatable to that is that it is normal to have an imposter moment, but Mm -hmm. don't make it an imposter life. And you have to think about life in general. It has its ups, it has its downs. And doubt is a very normal feeling to have, but you need Mm -hmm. to keep looking past that so it doesn't stall your life. Yes. And some other recommendations that they had too was to break out your little journal and to almost in bullet point form, write down lists of ways that you know that you're qualified to be where you are and to also acknowledge your own role in your success, but write it out. Because while luck may have played a part in you getting where you are, it's you who did all of the groundwork to get there. And I think that writing, writing it out helps a lot with reframing the way that you think about yourself. Yes. And yeah, that's kind of going back to um, avoiding the negative Mm -hmm. self-talk because if you are someone who said, oh, I'm I'm really lucky to get that job. um, Yeah. Write it out. Uh, What steps did you take to get that job? Because, you know, no one just falls into an opportunity, at least 99.9% of the time. You've Mm -hmm. obviously done the work to deserve that. Yeah. And you know, there's always a touch of luck in life, but you have to do the work to apply to the job. It's not like someone just hands it to you. Right. So um, another thing was to distinguish humility from fear. Now, this is kind of for the people who uh, realize success but they're almost ashamed of it uh, because they don't want to come off as uh, conceited or bragging. And in those moments, you have to remember to be gracious, but also don't be ashamed of your success. Uh, You worked very hard to get whatever you were working towards, and you should honor that and be proud of yourself. Yes. Do you have any other recommendations from the world of research? Um, I think just to not let imposter syndrome hold you back, you know, say yes to new opportunities, even if they scare you. Usually if an opportunity scares you, then it's a good thing. Um, is excitement, not always fear. So mm-hmm. still try and push yourself through that. Uh, that would be my main thing of how to, how to overcome it. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that based off of the research that we've done. But to tie it back to our tea chats, what are your experiences with it? <laughs> so as I mentioned, I kind of relate to the, the superwoman personality yeah. uh, construct the most. So I've always been someone who 
always want to show people how hard I was working. Yes. Um, to to make sure they knew that I I deserved a place at the table. Uh, that would be definitely my main thing when it comes to imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. I think it comes out mostly um, not so much in school for me, but definitely okay. in in workplaces, especially when it comes to um, you know, asking for my value in my in my salary or um, in my job role in general. I mm-hmm. always want to feel like I have to prove that I deserve it, even if I have like all the qualifications. And even with that expert one, I I can be someone who, you know, thinks that they need to get the education all done before mm-hmm. I take on an opportunity where, you know, you learn so much from experience. So I, I've kind of let that one go, but that was definitely something for me in the past. Yeah. Do you think that sometimes the the expert part of your personality was used as a bit of a armor against going after new opportunities? Yeah, I really do think so. Um, you know, there are cases where you do need a certain qualification to get a job. Mm-hmm. But for most of the careers out there, I mean, you really learn on the job. So even if it's something that you might not have at the moment, um, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with going after that opportunity and still working towards that education component because no matter what, it doesn't matter how long you go to school for or what special courses you take. It's that real life experience that is going to teach you. So mm-hmm. that is what you need to not be afraid of. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that because especially so much of learning in a new position is also just learning about how that company works. Absolutely. Like everything. And you could be top at it at one company. And then if you change to a different company, you have to learn a whole new culture and it's fine. You know, it's great experience to broaden your horizons, but it takes time. You know, you have to integrate yourself in there, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you shouldn't take that opportunity. It could lead to even bigger and better things. Definitely. And do you think that you've experienced any of these feelings when you were younger in sports? Um, for me, probably I would lean a little bit more to the natural genius perfectionist in sports. Like I've always, um, naturally been very athletic and, um, you know, when it comes to horseback riding, I've usually been a natural, uh, it would come very easy to me, Mm -hmm. but not so much actually as a child, but in, um, recent years, I, you know, Went to school, but I was showing a really great horse, and I knew this horse inside and out, and she trusted me. I trusted her. But then mm-hmm. as soon as she was retired, I felt kind of lost. And yes. I really forgot, and you know you know my whole struggle with that, but yeah. um, you know, this is something I'd been doing for, you know, I've, I've been riding horses for over 20 years now, but I've been riding horses my whole life. And then all of a sudden, I felt like a failure because I had become so good at riding one particular horse that I'd forgotten that, you know, I am a good rider. And that really played um, a factor in my uh, confidence. Um, Yeah, I remember. I I really thought that I just wasn't a good rider anymore. Like I thought I just lost my talent. Yeah, I remember that was a difficult period of time about 
year and a half ago, two years ago, where you felt like a bit of a fish out of water. Oh, yeah. Like I felt like I couldn't ride anything. (laughs) And that was such a hard feeling for me because this was something I'd done not, you know, almost every day my whole life. And then all of a sudden feeling like you can't do it. Mm -hmm. That that really sucked. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was like an injury around that time and it just all kind of compounded on each other. Yes. So there was um, another horse I was competing on and uh, things weren't going super great, but we finally went to a competition and uh, we jumped a jump and this horse jumped so hard that he bruised all of my intercostals on my ribs. Uh, Luckily, I didn't break anything, but I was definitely for six weeks getting better from that. Yeah. And it really did just shake my my confidence. Um, you know, there were things that I thought I could do no problem. And then when I struggled with it, I was like, oh, my God, this is this is terrible. Um, but I guess to coming back to overcoming it, I, you know, I talked to my coach and we kind of made a plan mm-hmm. to just just put me on the right horses that I could build my confidence back up on because I was getting to a point where I was actually uh, getting scared to jump. And this is coming from a person who is coming off a horse that I would jump usually, you know, four feet and not even think about it. Yeah. So, you know, I really had to scale back and I started jumping little tiny X's just off the ground until I got Mm -hmm. my confidence back. And, you know, the doubt would come up, but I, I kept having to shoot the doubt down and keep pressing forward. And then finally now, like I, you know, I rode my horse actually just um, on on the weekend and I felt that spark again of when yeah. like I'm nailing it and, you know, things are just going right. And that was all my hard work that I had been doing really for the past two to three years to get myself back to that point. Yeah. Which is really nice though, because it's nice to feel like you're back in your back to who you are you know yeah back back in my element and you know growing yeah. up as a kid I would ride I don't know anywhere from three to six different horses in one day and that's kind of what I've gone back to now where you know if something needs to get ridden I'm on it and it just kind of brings me back to my roots of being that kid who could sit on anything and and make it work you're back to the foundation of what you love right absolutely So, Rachel, I've shared one of my experiences. Do you have an experience with imposter syndrome? Yeah. So mine is also, it's a bit hard to explain, but I have a lot of feelings of imposter syndrome when I am singing and learning how to play the piano because the piano is a new thing for me. Singing is not, but I definitely experience the perfectionistic tendencies and also a bit of the natural genius. So when I'm singing, I always feel like it could be better despite how far I've come in the short span of two years. Because when I started back with my coach of, I think we've been, I've been singing with him for two and a half years now. I had come from a classical training where I was taught to sing a lot in my head voice. And he basically broke that down and taught me how to sing from more of my chest and my lower body and such to give more of that poppy 
mm-hmm. feeling to what I've been doing. And that was really hard because I'm not going to lie, I kind of sang like a Disney princess before. And even though I can look back and see how much I have improved, I also know how much better I can be. So yes. it's never – sometimes it feels like it's never enough. And especially when it comes to performing, I also feel like I'm not good enough to go up on stage, even though people tell me all the time, like, you have a very powerful voice. You're – you know, you can – bring the emotion with songs and you can grab people's attention like you belong up there. But I definitely berate my performance a lot. And I think when I think back on it, a lot of that came from my teenage years in music class because my teacher would constantly put me down because there was another girl who would sing opera in our class. So, you know, she was had a really powerful voice, like great for her, but I was a bit of an insecure little teenager and I was a really soft soprano. So sometimes you couldn't hear me when we were singing in a group. So she really would shut me down. And I remember one time I asked if I could sing a song for one of the plays that we were doing. And she looked at me and she's like, well, are you sure that you could handle that? Yeah. So she really didn't even honor your space or or value your presence at all. Yeah, so I definitely think that I carry that with me a lot where it's never mm-hmm. – I'm never good enough. I'm never perfect enough to perform. And then also where the natural genius comes in a bit is, you know, I have – the piano doesn't come super naturally to me like I am learning. But since I'm not already good, I'll just avoid playing it for weeks on end because, you know, some – it's one of those things where you take five steps forward, two steps back. Right. So with all of this, especially with your singing, um, you you talk about uh, how far you've come. Have you Mm -hmm. uh, done any of this, any of this with your journaling where you're writing down your different steps to get where you are currently? I've definitely done that with other aspects of my life. With singing, what I've actually done is similar to what you did with writing, where I would bail when I was getting close to a high note that I didn't think I was capable of. Mm -hmm. So what I've been working on specifically is really just acknowledging that in myself and saying, no, you're not going to hurt yourself or it's not too much for you. You just don't believe in yourself. And it's, I really force myself through it. Mm -hmm. And it feels like I'm getting over that hump now, but it probably would be good to journal a bit on the piano playing part. That's for sure. Yeah, I just know journaling is a big release for you. So maybe uh, that would help with your uh, piano to kind of keep you in that moment and in that headspace to keep coming back to it. And, you know, maybe you write down, okay, this week I got through, I don't know what, I'm not, okay, I'm not musically inclined at all when it comes to instruments. So, (laughs) you know, you played so many bars or lines of music one week. Yes. and, And like, you know, you got it all. And then maybe next week you played two lines. So whatever, whatever you call it in your little music book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm working through it. I'm working through it with that one. But, and I don't know if you can relate to this one at all, but I've also had some issues with the natural genius in school Mm -hmm. because, well, you guys don't know this, but we both majored in business. So I did finance and Finance was pretty difficult for me, 
And for some odd reason, I carried around this feeling that I wasn't smart enough to be at the university that I was at, even though objectively I was. And I found that with finance classes that were super, super difficult for me, I would just I would just give up. If I didn't understand the question right away, I would just give up because I felt like I wasn't smart enough to be there. And something that I had to work on is to remind myself that, you know, it's you're there to learn and you need to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that everyone around me is also stressed. They might not be stressed about corporate finance, but they might be stressed over philosophy or a psychology class. Like no one is good at absolutely everything and you are in university to learn about the subject that you're studying. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point right there. Uh, You know, you're there to learn because, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're, if you don't make any mistakes, you're not learning, right? Yeah. Um, you know, how can you challenge yourself if you get it perfect every time? Um, you know, I'm, I hate when I make a mistake, but I know when I do make a mistake, I don't make it again. So, you know, I might have felt like a failure for a brief moment, but next time when I approach that problem, I know, what, I know how to handle it. And then I am that much further down the road. Yes. And also, business classes were just really hard. <laughs> yeah, you know, some of those courses, you just kind of like, you just you just survive. You're not you're not really thriving. You just got to get through them. <laughs> yes, you get you leave that class with a seventy, and you're like, yes. Oh my god, you're like top of the class if you got a seventy in some of those courses. You really are like the class average, sixty nine for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that rounds out my experience. Do you have anything else that you want to touch on before we close out? Um, I think kind of going back to even um, some some other things where I kind of feel like I struggle and feel like a fraud is anytime I want to speak up and share something, like share an experience or a lesson with people, Mm -hmm. um, I find that's a very hard thing to do and you know going back to we all need to learn and start from somewhere is I I have to get over the fact that there are some things that I'm a beginner in but it's okay because I'm not going to be a beginner forever and you know I just have to keep working at it and also um kind of feeling value in myself Mm -hmm. that you know I have my own voice and my own truth. And it's okay for me to share that because even though it might not resonate with everyone, it could resonate with someone. So that's why I really try to work hard on keep putting myself out there and Mm -hmm. kind of developing a better connection, but also just good experience for myself. Your, your projector is shining through there. Oh, I know. We are going to do an episode on human design because I'm very excited about that. We're just dropping just, a little hint. Just a little, a little tidbit for people who don't know about human design. It's a fantastic kind of um, – would you say it's borderline astrology? Yeah, it's almost a mix of astrology and numerology. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm a projector, and um, projectors, they want to be heard, but they need to be invited. So 
for me where I definitely feel like a fraud uh, and, and imposter is when I'm trying to share something and I'm not being acknowledged. Um, yeah. So now I've learned through human design, I won't go too far down this road, I promise. Um, <laughs> I need someone to let me into their space or be invited and then I can share. And then when I do share, it's more impactful. Exactly. And I think too, that's just helping you learn that, you know, the spaces that you get invited into are the ones where you're going to be truly valued. Yes. And um, you've you've been on the journey with me a long time and you know how it is when I'm in a space there where I don't feel valued. And I feel like that's where a lot of my imposter syndrome does stem from. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, if you're trying to improve something or this, is, this mainly came down to when I was managing um, a, a business that I wanted to share these ideas, but they, it, was, it was kind of falling on deaf ears. And you can only be shot down so many times before you start feeling like, okay, maybe I am an idiot and these ideas are crap. Yes. And I'll just drop that little reminder that that was bullshit. <laughs> yes. Because everyone else who would resonate with me, they thought they were fantastic ideas. <laughs> Exactly. And that's how you knew that it was time to leave, which we're really teasing two episodes here. <laughs> yes. Oh, I am so excited. I I will probably cry in that episode. So will I. We're not going to yeah. tell you what that episode is, but No, but um <laughs> you'll you'll hear our tissues, that's for sure. Okay, so before we spoil the rest of our podcast episodes, Sorry. is there any right, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, so for my final thought, uh, this is kind of going to borderline on the woo-woo side for, for people who aren't as much into spirituality. Um, but when I have talked to my, what, what will we call her? A spiritual guide, clairvoyance, lady, therapist, therapist. Spiritual, spiritual therapist. spiritual therapist. Um, you know, I whenever I'm embarking on a new adventure, I always have to consult with her to make sure it's resonating with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, even with this, this podcast and a few of my other little side businesses that I've, I've done, I have always brought up, you know, can I actually do this? Um, am I worthy of this? She would always say, yes, you are worthy. And anytime that doubt comes up, you got to shoot the doubt. And so now whenever I'm faced with a new challenge, that is what, comes into my mind is shoot the doubt and then move forward and that's the tea sis that's the tea that's the tea well I guess my final thought is really just to shift the narrative in your own head because it is possible to reframe your thoughts and it's possible to shift from a negative perspective to your of yourself to a very positive one and We both believe in you and you can do this. So that is going to wrap up our episode number three. We are really excited to come back with our next episode. And until next time, live like tea. Live like tea.